0: Well, good morning, happy Memorial Day weekend, uh, whether you're in person, online, however you're here. Uh, glad that you joined us today. So today, we are wrapping up this series entitled Real Relationships. we going to talk about family relationships uh, next week. Uh, Darren is up and starting us off on a new series called Wrestling with God. So, um, family relationships... I'm just wondering what goes through your mind just by hearing the word family. I'm sure that some of us think good thoughts. Some of us, Sonny, was that you? Think bad thoughts. <clears throat> you know, there, there are some of us and when we, we, we call our mother every day. There are others of us who have become masters at avoiding our mother's call there are some of us who really wish that there was a little bit more space. Some of us wish there wasn't so much. Some of us really look forward to family gatherings. That's that's a moment that we relish and enjoy. Others got to take that moment in the driveway to give ourselves the pep talk. So I think no matter how you cut it, Families, you know, it's it's not quite so cut and dried that there's only two groups, that there are some people whose families are great and some people who are not. I think in reality, it looks a little bit different than that in real life. Leo Tolstoy, the great writer, when he opened his novel, Anna Karenina, said, "'Happy families are all alike.'" unhappy families are each unhappy in their own way. Now, I hate to step on one of the world's greatest writers, but I'm not sure that's completely true. It might be more fair to say happy families are all alike, and they all have a little bit of unhappiness in that with them as well. So today, we're going to be looking at some of the things that make family relationships sort of difficult because families and the relationships that we have are messy. When we talk about real relationships and when we're honest, we find out that things can be very, very difficult with us and our families. You know, I want to do something a little bit different today. I want to look at the life and the story of Jesus through the lens of his family because I think we'll see that his family was just as messed up as some of ours. So as we kind of dig into the story of Jesus and his family, I kind of want to set the stage, and we're going to put some verses up on the screen. I'm not going to read them, but I kind of want to kind of go through what's happening in this moment when we learn about who these family members are in the life of Jesus. So this is from Matthew chapter 13 verses 55 to 57, and Jesus is all grown up. He's an adult. He comes back to his hometown, and he goes into the synagogue to teach. Now, a synagogue, that's just kind of like a Jewish church. People gathered there on Saturdays to, to hear teaching from the Bible, from God's Word, and Jesus was a, sort of the guest lecturer, and he's teaching. And it's interesting because as the people from his hometown of Nazareth hear his teaching, they are surprised and puzzled. They hear what he's saying and they say, wait, isn't this the carpenter's son? His mom's Mary and we know his brothers. There's James and Joseph, Simon and Jude, and we know his sisters. So the people are puzzled, and they literally don't accept the words of Jesus because they still remember little Jesus, I guess, from the neighborhood, and they just can't believe this profound teaching is coming from him, which led Jesus to say, no prophet is honored in his hometown. But more important for our sake today is not so much what their response was, but This is one of the few places in the Bible that actually tells us something about Jesus' family, even listing their names. And I would guess that some of you might be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus had real, like, brothers and sisters? So that's something that's been a controversy in the church. And you can go all the way back to the 4th century. There was a man by the name of Helvidius who said, yes, yes, These really are the biological brothers and sisters of Jesus born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. There was someone else called Epiphanias who said, well, actually, I think these people that we see named here are the children of Joseph from a previous marriage. Another guy by the name of Jerome said, you know, I just can't really accept the fact that Mary wasn't always a virgin. These probably are cousins. Well, just let me say this. I don't care which one of those you want to pick, I think you're still going to get into heaven. I think most importantly, what we want to know is these are the people that Jesus did life with. These are the people that influenced him and that he influenced and that he had to work things out with day to day as he lived with them growing up. I want to look at a couple of snapshots in the life of Jesus to see what it was like for him and what we can learn from him. So the first one is from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. So here's what happens. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked around at then. They, then he looked around at them and said, "Look, those are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother." So there are a few things going on. Jesus has become a rather popular rabbi, and wherever he goes, there are people who crowd around him to see him, to touch him, to maybe hope to get a miracle from him. And that's exactly what's happening here. As Jesus is in a house teaching. The house is so full that when his family comes, they can't even get close. And so I'm guessing that what happens is they send word by whispering person to person, hey, tell Jesus his mom and his brothers are outside and they, that they wanna talk to him. Goes on to the next person, tell Jesus his mother and brothers are outside. They wanna talk to him. Until it finally gets to the last person who leans over to Jesus and says, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. And, and to me, this is where the story gets really odd. Seriously, because look what Jesus says. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I would have been, I would have been laughing. I would have been whispering myself. I was like, is he being sarcastic right now? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? So Jesus asks this question. No one answers, so he answers it himself. In Jesus' culture, family, even though we would say today that family is first and that we put those family relationships above all others, it was different in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, family relationships were more culturally oriented so that people had a more common understanding that family was truly first in some very unique ways. So if you were married, you probably didn't really leave home unless you got married and you went to live with your husband and his parents. And you didn't really move away from home. You kind of stayed in this clan, in this tribe, pretty much all your life. There was a a group culture sort of feeling in that day that's different than the individualism that we feel today. And Jesus says, these people, these people who are here listening and are becoming a part of my kingdom, these are my family. These are my mother and my brothers. And Jesus didn't misspeak. This, this wasn't just an emotional moment and he just said it off the, fly, off the cuff. This was something he meant to say because he doubles down. And when you see in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says the same thing, maybe in an even more profound way, when he says, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, as if that needed anything else. Your enemies will be right in your own household. You know, when I was a kid, when we went to church, we kind of sat in the same little pew, and sitting across from us was another, another couple and we didn't really know them. They weren't great friends, but one day my father had gotten to know him and he told me the story of this man named Saul. He had grown up Jewish, and when he became, when he, when he was married and became a follower of Jesus, his family completely disowned him. As a matter of fact, they even had a sort of funeral for him, recognizing that he was no longer a part of their family. Now, it might not be that drastic for you, but some of you have experienced that kind of distance and separation that happens when you choose to become a Jesus follower. Choosing life as a follower of Jesus will very likely put you at odds with your family. And here's the deal. The truth is when when Jesus calls us to follow him and we accept that call, There is something going to happen with the relationships in our family around us. Either those family members are going to see the choice that you've made, they're going to be surprised and impressed with what they see in you in this new relationship, and they're going to join you in it, or they're going to see that you've joined this thing and they're going to be completely separated because they're going to think that's just one of the most foolish choices you've ever made. There's this polarizing effect that Jesus has on us and then in turn on those around us. I want to look at another snapshot. This is another moment in the life of Jesus when his family is with him. This is from John chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. It says, after this, Jesus traveled around Galilee He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus' life is literally on the line because jealous people want to kill him. And what do his brothers say? His brothers say, be popular. Become an influencer. Don't stick around here in rural Galilee. Go to Judea where you can be seen and known. Go to Judea. At best, best best-case scenario... The brothers are completely mocking Jesus. Worst case scenario, they'd like to see him dead. For some of us, one of life's greatest disappointments is when we see that our family is not the loving, protecting, life-giving group that they were designed to be. In the first snapshot, when Jesus was with his mothers and brothers, you could see there was separation and distance. They weren't aligned, they weren't joining his mission. But this is different. This is a different level. Something is wrong here, I would say. And seeing this kind of thing from family members requires a kind of brutal honesty, first with ourselves. Am I really seeing this clearly? Do I have members of my family who really are toxic and wish me harm? There's something just as a practical step that I think is important to point out, and that is there really is a pretty significant difference between difficult relationships and toxic relationships. Just because someone annoys you doesn't necessarily make them toxic. A difficult relationship is when... Two people are working together to outgrow the selfishness, the spiritual immaturity, and the pride that exists in relationships. A toxic relationship is destructive. A toxic relationship is marked by a kind of controlling behavior when toxic people can become experts at deception, manipulation, and twisting things and make you feel crazy simply because you say what's true. Labeling someone as toxic and walking away is never step one, but it is something that may be a step that some of us need to take at some point to be safe and to be healthy. Here's a book I want to show up here on the screen that I'd recommend. I, I would recommend that if you believe that there is someone toxic in your life, in your world that you be proactive. If you're a reader, I would say, check out this book. It's something that can help steer you into understanding what it really means. Like, am I seeing this clearly? Another recommendation I would have is if you believe that there is someone toxic in your world, I would say you should seek out the help of a professional. Find a therapist who can help you navigate how to find a healthy and a safe place. If you live with the temptation to kind of be the fixer in relationships like I do sometimes, remember that God is the only one who changes lives. It's not my job. It's not even in my power. To be honest about it, sometimes the very best thing I can do is stop trying to fix I need to let go of my need to be needed, and I need to step away from being controlled by someone that is potentially toxic. What I would say to you is take the long view when it comes to relationships. What I mean by that is God never promises that things will work out exactly the way we want them Oh, it does say that God will cause all things to work together for good, but many times I think what God thinks is good and what I think is good sometimes are a little bit different, if you know what I mean. God doesn't promise that things are going to work like we want, but God does promise that things will be done in incredible ways because he can use unlikely people and unlikely situations to bring about his plans, and we saw that over and over and over throughout the stories of the Bible. The most unlikely people and the most unlikely situation brought exactly what God wanted to happen. So when it comes to Jesus' family, I don't know that I can tell you exactly what those relationships were like. I don't know that I can describe, but when I look at those stories in the Gospels, I see that there are some things that don't look good. And in the end, somehow, in spite of all those stories and things that happened, God did something remarkable in the lives of Jesus' brothers and sisters. One brother named James became an extremely influential church leader in the first century and even ended up writing one of the books of the Bible. Another brother also became a church leader and wrote a different book called Jude. And in spite of the fact that Jesus' family was conspicuously absent during his life and ministry, we do know that after his resurrection, they showed up. They were a part of the group that was there together, waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit to come down in the beginning of the church to launch. I would just say, never doubt what God can do in you and in your family if we will hold on to faith and trust God to build faith in our families. I would encourage you to pray for your family. I feel like sometimes when when we're encouraged to pray, we hear, well, there's nothing we can really do, so just pray. Sort of throwing our hands up and giving up and in reality I think prayer is the moment when we call the creator of the universe with more power than we can imagine to step down into our world and to do something miraculous and do something in our lives that no human could ever do. I would encourage you to pray and invite the most powerful, protective, proactive person in the entire universe to come into your life and to make a difference. To call on God who gives real wisdom, who heals relationships, and brings people to him.